Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Second Corinthians chapter 10. You know, throughout history, fortifications, they have been very, very important, very prominent, very strategic in protecting people and uh, the area that, that they are in from invaders. And I, a, few, uh, a few months ago, we did a Mighty Fortresses of God, and I remember throwing up a bunch of different fortresses from all around. But one that's been very, very important, you know, in the history of the world is one such fortification called Dover Castle. Here it is. Doesn't that look cool? Oh my goodness. I mean, when you think about castles, I mean, that, like, that one's like second to only Castle Grayskull for me, growing up with He-Man. For those of you who remember Castle Grayskull, but nevertheless, that, that thing looks really, really cool. That is the Castle of Dover, or Dover Castle, located Dover, Kent, England. Anybody ever been there to see that? I haven't either. Oh, you have. My wife has been there. You didn't tell me that. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it does. It does. So if you want to know more about it personally, my wife knows it. She's been there. She studied in England for a semester back in, what was that, 1998? 1998. That was a good year. It was a good year. But after the Normans invaded England in 1066, they began to fortify this strategic area and built up the fortress that you now see there. Um, it's, it's one of England's oldest strongholds and it's played this prominent role all throughout the centuries over a thousand years even as she said even in world war ii it played a prominent role even in that but dover castle was so strategic because it's located on the point of england that is closest to mainland europe as you can see from this map here so you can see right there's dover castle the little red dot and right across there is france so the English Channel there, it kind of gets real narrow there. That's called the Strait of Dover that's right there. And uh, it's only 20 miles, only 20 miles across right there uh, as part of that English, English Channel gets really narrow there. So, so it makes for a really convenient point of invasion. And that's why they built a castle there. So for that reason, Dover Castle has long carried the nickname the Key to England. If you unlock the Dover door, then all of England is open to you, okay? But fortresses and strongholds, they, they go both ways, don't they? They not only do they keep good guys in and bad guys out, they can also be flipped around the other way, right? They can keep bad guys in and good guys out. That's how the Bible, when it uses the word stronghold, that's the picture that it has. A stronghold, biblically speaking, and we'll get to a better definition here in just a moment, but a, a stronghold, biblically speaking, is a spiritual fortress that keeps a person under the control of darkness and wickedness and repels the influence of goodness and light. So tonight we're going to continue in our Chain Breaker series where we're addressing various things that chain people up in their everyday life and keep them from honoring God as they ought to. So tonight we're going to talk about breaking the chains of strongholds. So let's see what the Word of God has to say. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to look at just four verses as our focus text tonight. 2 Corinthians 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. Let's see what the Word of God says. Uh, God, through the Apostle Paul, says this. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Let's pray and ask God to help us tonight. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, come and help us. We, we know that you've given us your word. But we also know that in order, us, in order for us to really understand your word and really apply your word, that your Holy Spirit must illuminate that text. It must shed light on that text that we might see it. And then, God, we know that you, your Holy Spirit then is going to drive it into our hearts, God. It might show us where we need to change. Father, we want to be just hearers of your word tonight, but we want to be doers. We want to be changed by your word. And so help us to do that. And Father, there is likely a stronghold of some sort in every one of our lives here tonight. For some, that stronghold is small, kind of like that wooden fortress that used to be on the Kentucky frontiers. But for others, that stronghold is like the castle of Dover, massive and dug in and seemingly impenetrable. But God, we know that all things are possible with you. So we ask that tonight that you would begin to destroy strongholds, no matter how big. If there's anybody here tonight, Father, who has yet to repent and believe on Jesus, we pray that tonight they would see Christ and him crucified, and they would run to the cross in repentance and faith, and receive the grace that has been bought by the blood of Jesus for every person who will believe. God, just move in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder tonight, are there strongholds in your life that need destroying? Or maybe you know somebody who has strongholds that are keeping them enslaved to sin of some sort. I pray tonight will be a big help. And I believe it will be because the Word of God is not only true, but the Word of God is effective if we'll put it into practice. Amen? It's not just true, it's effective, okay? So here's tonight's task. How do I destroy strongholds in my life? And our text tonight points us to eight steps in breaking free from stronghold. And here's the first step. Step number one is simply to realize that you are in a war. Realize that you are in a war. Look at verse 3 here, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. You see, Paul knew he was in the middle of a war. I mean, he, he, he wasn't naive. He wasn't pretending. He knew. Yeah, it's a spiritual war, but it's a war nonetheless. Right? It is a real war. How many of you guys have ever ex- experienced and knew you were in the middle of a battle, a spiritual battle? You've been there before? I mean, it was... <laughs> It's just like a real battle. It's just like if you had gun shooting and all those things, right? Yeah, it's spiritual, but nevertheless, it's a real battle. But you know what? There are a lot of folks who walk around who are oblivious 
that a war is going on around them. They're not aware that the enemy is, is strategizing. They're not aware that the enemy is making advances. They don't know that the enemy is building up fortifications and taking possession of them spiritually until it's too late. Sort of like the covert operations that you read about in history books that nations have done throughout the years. Or maybe you see them in the movies with all the spies, you know, James Bond or uh, uh, um, oh, Jason Bourne sort of stuff. I mean, all that, you know, going on, right? But, but the enemy is waging war in secret oftentimes, right? Behind the scenes. And the target, us, we're often unaware. And now I, you just need to understand tonight that the enemy loves to do that. I mean, he, lo- he, he loves... He loves to take us totally unaware, right? Surprise is a great tactic, isn't it? Sort of that guerrilla warfare. He loves to do that. He and his demonic forces and sin itself love to take even the most basic things in our life, even the good things, and twist them to their advantage. And so I just want you to understand tonight is that nothing is off limits to the enemy. They will try to infiltrate every aspect of your life, your work, your home, your hobbies, your relationships, your finances, and they're going to take the bad things and, and, and compound those and try to pull you into that, but they'll take the good things and twist it and use it against you. Sin and the devil will take a foothold if you'll try, or if you'll, if you'll, if you'll let them, and then try to turn that foothold into a stronghold, Okay? Now get that in your brain. The devil wants a foothold so he can take that foothold and turn it into a stronghold. That's why Ephesians 4.27 says, Give no opportunity to the devil. Some translations say, Don't give the devil a foothold. In other words, don't give him an inch because if you give him an inch, what's he going to take? A mile. You give him a foothold, he'll turn that into a stronghold. You and I need to stop being naive, right? We're in a spiritual war, whether we realize it or not. But if we're ever going to destroy the strongholds in our life, guys, we've got to realize that, that we're indeed in a war. Secondly tonight, if, if we're going to destroy strongholds, then we must locate the stronghold. Locate the stronghold. That's what a liberating army would do, wouldn't they? If they're going to come into a country a place that was under, uh, under the, the, uh, the, the, the tyranny of a, of a bad regime, they would find the strongholds so that they could do with precision and with concentration, put all their force into that spot, right? To blow that, that, that defense, that, that stronghold out of the water, all right? They would pinpoint the stronghold so that that land and its people might be free from the tyranny of the enemy. And we've got to do that spiritually as well, according to our text, right? According to our text. You see, what we often do, though, is we, we aim at the peripheral defenses. The peripheral defenses. We never take on the actual stronghold. We often take aim at the symptoms, right? The symptoms, the, the level of our lives the, the, where we see um, action happening, right? Our actions. Let's say, for instance, that one of your strongholds tonight is, is cussing. All right? Cussing may be one of your strongholds. So to try to overcome that, here's what we often do, right? What we do is we engage in, in, in basic behavior modification, okay? And so what we'll do is we'll say, 
I don't want to do that anymore. And so we basically say, we try to wean ourselves off of cussing, okay? In other words, we see how many times we cuss this week, and then next week we say, I'm going to cuss less, and we set a goal, okay? And then the next week less, and the next week less, until we've stopped cussing. But in doing so, the actual stronghold has never been addressed. You see, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that surface level, that, 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 that expressed outward level, okay? We've got to go deeper than the outward symptoms, right? Deeper than the outward actions. We've got to get to the heart. You see, there's a reason that you do what you do. Do you know what the reason is that you do what you do? The answer is because you want what you want. You do what you do because you want what you want. In other words, you desire what you desire or you love what you love. You see, your actions, they arise out of the desires of your heart. So to get closer to the stronghold, you have to get to the heart. What desires are pushing me to cuss? If that's the stronghold we're talking about. But we still haven't gotten to the stronghold yet. You see, the stronghold is even a level deeper than that. We've got to go even deeper, right? You see, there's a reason that you want what you want. And here's the reason. Because you think what you think. You see, you want what you want. Because you desire what you desire. And you desire what you desire because you think what you think. What you believe about reality, guys, controls how you feel about reality. Isn't that right? What you think about reality controls how you feel about reality. So I want you to notice the progression here. It flows from your mind to your heart to your actions. Mind, heart, actions. So that means, guys, that strongholds are located in the mind. They are located in your way of thinking. You say, this sounds like pop psychology, Ben. No, it's Bible. Turn here with me to, we're here in the text. Look at verse 3 and 4. Let's look at our text here, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So what does Paul want to do? He wants to destroy what? Strongholds. The verb is destroy there. But notice what he says in the very next verse. He defines what he's talking about when he says strongholds. Verse 5, he says, We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. You see him equating the two here? He's destroying strongholds. And what does he mean by that? He means destroying arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. So strongholds are ideas or philosophies of the mind that are against the truth of God. So let's get a proper definition then. What is a stronghold as Paul uses it here? Here's how I would define a stronghold. A stronghold is any mindset or thought system or thought pattern that stands in opposition to God and holds a person captive to sin. So let's brainstorm for a moment. 
what are some of those mindsets that become strongholds that are in opposition to God and hold a person captive to sin? What are some of those? Okay. So maybe the right to shop seven days a week is a stronghold. Could be. What else would you say might be a stronghold? The God that will yeah, doubting God in one essence, right? Or that God won't come through. Maybe one of the strongholds is is that I was born this way. Right? That's a stronghold of the mind. Um, we use that excuse for a lot of different things, right? A lot of different actions that we do. Any other strongholds you can think of? I mean, there are a lot. One stronghold, one, one, one stronghold would be I can never change. I can never change. I mean, there's all sorts we could talk about here. But a stronghold is any mindset or thought pattern that stands in opposition to God and holds a person captive to sin. So here's the question, though. Where are strongholds located? Where are they located? They are located in the mind. Okay? That's why God says this in, in, in Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Your mind. That's where change comes from. Right? It, it, it happens right here in your brain. If you're going to be transformed, your mind must change. Your thinking must change. Just like the old saying goes, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Right? A person's life will not change until what they think about that thing changes. That's true in every aspect of your life. Whatever stronghold you're talking about. If it's smoking, if it's pornography, if it's overeating or unhealthy eating or sexual morality or gossip or or unrighteous anger, we could go on and on and on, right? So if you're going to attack a stronghold, you have to attack the mind. Actions come out of the heart and the heart comes out of the mind. You do what you do because you want what you want. And you want what you want because you think what you think. Third, if we're going to destroy strongholds, we must pray for God's power. Pray for God's power. Look at verse 4 in our text, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So what's the key? To destroying strongholds, it's what? Divine power. You know, one of the greatest strongholds in all of Scripture were the walls of Jericho. This is just a beautiful illustration of what Paul is saying here. The walls of Jericho there in the book of Joshua, they were, that, that was a heavily fortified city. Maybe even maybe more fortified than we realize. I, 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 I tried to do some research here. I want you to hear this. This blew my mind. 
about the, the, the archaeological stuff they've done and uncovered and all this stuff, okay? So here's how they describe the defensive walls around Jericho. It says, The mound or, or tell of Jericho was surrounded by a great earthen rampart or embankment with a stone retaining wall at its base. The retaining wall was some 12 to 15 feet high. On top of that was a mud brick wall six feet thick and 20 to 26 feet high. At the crest of the embankment was a similar mud brick wall whose base was roughly 46 feet above the ground level outside the retaining wall. That's what they looked up and saw as they were walking up to Jericho, the Israelites. Humanly speaking, because it was impossible, impossible for the Israelites to penetrate that bastion there in Jericho. The Bible says that when Joshua and the Israelites came to Jericho, it says it was shut up tighter than a wedge, man. Nobody was coming out and nobody was going to get in. So how were they ever going to get in that stronghold? And the answer is the power of God, divine power. Listen to Joshua chapter 2, or chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, verses 2 through 5. It says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. What? Are you kidding me? I mean, is that really? I mean, just imagine if you were to bring, the, bring that strategy to a general, like in the U.S. Army, they like, whatever. I mean, you're just going to march around it, and then you're going to blow a horn and shout? The difference, though, is God's power. Because what God told them to do, they did. And what God said would happen, happened, right? It happened. That's exactly what happened. Beloved, listen, strongholds can only overcome. Uh, they cannot be overcome by the power of the flesh. It takes divine power, just as, just as Paul said, right? That, that, that means that we need to pray. We need to pray for God to show up. We need to pray for God to do what only He can do. I want you to hear 1 Corinthians 2.14. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 2.14. As you try to engage people in their area of stronghold, Listen to this. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. God didn't say they won't understand. God said they can't understand. Natural man is unable to accept the things of God. They're spiritually discerned. Therefore, the Spirit of God must show up. The Spirit of God must do something, right? We need to pray for God's powers. We try to destroy strongholds. That's in our life. 
If you have a stronghold and you're just trying to do it, if you're just trying to behavior, modify it, and all those things, guys, you cannot get lasting change unless the Holy Spirit show up in that moment. And that's true for the lives of others. Fourth, if we're going to destroy strongholds, we've got to wield the power or, or wield the sword of the Spirit. Wield the sword of the Spirit. Look here again, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, where Paul talks about the weapons of our warfare. You see that in verse 4? The weapons of our warfare. These, of course, are spiritual weapons. And, and I believe when we come to strongholds, the greatest weapon that God has given us is the sword of the Spirit. Now, what is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God, right? That's what, that's what Paul says in Ephesians 6, 17, when he's talking about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why do you think he used the imagery of a sword for the Bible? Why do you think he did that? That's kind of strange. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Okay. It can penetrate. Yeah, absolutely. And it can cut, can it? I mean, I've never been cut by a sword, but I've been cut by a knife, right? And, and so, yeah, it slices, it dices, it lays bare. You know, one of my one of my favorite one of my favorite shows is Forged in Fire. Y'all ever watch Forged in Fire? I like that. You know, Elizabeth and I. It's one of Elizabeth's favorite too. And you always got the, the, the guy that does the test, you know. Uh, I forget his name. What's the guy? Who? Doug. Yeah, Doug. And he always says, it will kill. <laughs> That's what he always says, right? He, he's cutting it. It will cut. It will kill. You know, and all these things. He's an Asian guy, and so he kind of says it that way, right? And so, guys, that's what the Word of God does. That's, what we're, it, it, that's why it's so important destroying strongholds because it exposes the lies. Cuts open and exposes the lies. Remember, what's a stronghold biblically? A stronghold is any mindset or thought pattern that stands in opposition to God and holds a person captive to sin. So when the, when the sword of the Spirit is unsheathed and swung, it exposes the lie in light of the truth. I just want to encourage you guys, man, you should never be afraid to yield or wield, I guess I should say, the, to wield the sword of the Spirit when you try to engage people. That's, the, that's, the, that's your greatest weapon. Don't leave it in the holster. Pull that thing out. Or sheath, I guess I should say. A holster's a gun. <laughs> Sorry about that. But yeah, pull that thing out and use it. You know, so many Christians, they try to defend Christianity or they try to convert people to Christianity using everything but the Bible. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, for instance, like, 
evidentialist apologetics, if, if you're into that, if you're into apologetics, like there's different categories of apologetics. One is called evidentialist apologetics, which tries to use historical and current evidence to prove biblical truth. They turn to archaeology. They turn to all these other things. And listen, there's a place for that. Praise God for that. But it's not enough. Others try what's called presuppositional apologetics, which tries to show the absurdity of the non-Christian worldview through reasoning, through logic. But again, it's good, but I want to push you to another area, and that's what's called expository apologetics. In other words, you use the Bible to defend the Bible and win people to Jesus. You say, well, they don't believe the Bible. Cut them a time or two and see. (laughs) Just use the Bible how God wanted you to use it. Don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit will step in. The Holy Spirit will convict. The Word of God is powerful. Amen? The, The Word of God is powerful for destroying strongholds. Fifth, I would say to you tonight, if you're going to destroy strongholds, fifth, we must repent. Repent of ungodly thinking. So now that you've, you've brought out the Bible and you see reality defined as it is, right? This is where real truth is found, okay? Real truth is found. It's been revealed from God, okay? Now that the truth and the lies have been properly defined, for the stronghold to be destroyed, the person must repent of ungodly thinking. The word repent in Greek is metanoia repentance or repent. It's a compound word that literally means a change of mind. So once the thought that was a lie, the, 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 that you once thought was a lie, or let me say it again, that thing which you once thought was the truth, but now you agree that that lie is a lie, right? That, that's a change of mind. And so you, to repent is to turn from your thinking, right? Turn your thinking around and, and, and then go in the other direction. But you don't just repent. Six, to destroy a stronghold, you've got to replace with godly thinking, okay? Repent and replace. That's what, that's what the Bible calls the put-off, put-on motif. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Colossians 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Do not lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In other words, repent and replace. Put off, put on. When a bad stronghold is torn down, a good stronghold must be built back in its place or else the enemy is going to come right back in with another lie. You've got to get that... That, that, that godly stronghold built in there. Replace that, 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 that sinful thinking, that, that ungodly thinking with godly thinking. Seventh, if we're going to destroy strongholds, we must act in obedience to truth. That's got to be our aim. Look at verse 5 in our text, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, raise against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive. For what purpose? To do what? To obey Christ. That's what a changed heart does. That's what a changed mind does, right? Changed heart, 
or a changed mind leads to a changed heart, which leads to changed actions. Let me say it this way. A right mind leads to a right heart, which leads to right actions. So we act in obedience to the truth. We do everything in our power to follow the truth and not return to the lie. Now, here's what we've all found out, though, right? The lie wants to come back in. You ever kick the devil out and he comes knocking on the door again later? That brings us to the last one here, number eight. If we're going to destroy strongholds, then we must be ruthless. Ruthless in policing our thoughts and our actions. Look at verse 5 and 6 in our text. He says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ. And here it is. Look, look at this. And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What that means is, is that once you get right thinking, sometimes that old thinking is going to pop up. Sometimes moments of temptation are going to come in. Sometimes the devil is going to come knocking. Adrian Rogers, he, he once said this. He said, even after you repent, the devil is not going to just walk out. After repentance, there must be resistance. Right? So you have to actively police your thoughts and your actions. Now, what does a policeman do when he catches bad guys? He stops them, he arrests them, and he locks them away, right? That's what we've got to do. You say, how do I do that? Let's say, let's go back to the cussing thing. All right, gosh, I hope, I didn't, I've, not, I hope I've not tempted anybody to cuss tonight by talking about it, but nevertheless. <laughs> Y'all all go out here. Anyway, but let's say that, 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 that you're, you're in the middle of talking and all of a sudden you hear that word coming, right? It doesn't just come out. You, you, I mean, you, it's coming. What do you do? You, 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 you stop it. Like the policeman, freeze! <laughs> you know, stop! And then you take it and you throw it out and you replace it. You've got to actively engage in that sort of things, right? If your mind, maybe, um, maybe you, you struggle with, with, um, with strongholds of feeling worthless. What do you do when those thoughts begin to creep in your mind? And you say, I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm a loser. I'm better off dead. Things like that. What do you do? By the power of God, you say, stop. And you arrest it. You say, that is not the truth. I will not believe that. You, you, you have to engage. You have to battle. You have to be ruthless in policing your thoughts and your actions. It's interesting here where he says, being ready to punish ever disobedience, even or, or when your obedience is complete. So be ready to, 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 be ready to, to say, that was out of bounds, Ben. You can't go back there, right? You've got to police it. I wish I could give better examples at this moment. I'm just going to pray the Holy Spirit give you guys those answers as you think about in your own life those things. But you've got to be ruthless. 
you cannot give the devil a foothold. Why? Because he'll take a stronghold, okay? You've got to be ruthless to police your thoughts and your actions. Throw that junk out and replace it with godly thinking, with truth. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.